to Revelation chapter 3. Turn your Bibles there and then let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, Lord. As we go to your word right now, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. Lord, we are desperate for you. Lord, our lives without you don't make sense. So Lord, give us ears to hear what you would say to us. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, quickly, Revelation, as we know, is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word is apocalypsis, which literally means the unveiling. So you hear me say it often, to know Jesus better is to love him more. And you're going to understand who Jesus is better as we go through the book of Revelation. If you were here for chapter one, we see a picture of Jesus in heaven. If you were not here, you can go to our website, you can watch it online, you certainly can open up your Bible and read it. So we see Jesus in heaven, and then we see chapter 2 and chapter 3, and we're, pick, we're starting in chapter 3 this morning, and it's the church age. So what you have is, here's Jesus in heaven, and then we have the letters to the seven churches. And as Jesus is speaking these letters, he, he gives the information to John, he writes it down and delivers it to the individual churches. Certainly they all apply to us as a church today. And so then after the, the church age, chapter 2 and chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 4, you see John being called up into heaven from a heavenly vision. That's where we get the word rapture. And then you don't see the church again listed anywhere in Revelation till we get to the end of the book at the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so we're looking at the church age this morning, and so far we've looked at three churches, actually four churches. We saw the church in Ephesus. Remember, the church in Ephesus looked great from the outside. They had everything going on, all the ministries taking place, but they had left their first love. And it's easy for us to be Christians and just to do all the stuff that Christians are supposed to do. But guys, what comes more before anything else in our walk with the Lord is intimate fellowship with Him. Amen? We need to be fall in love with Jesus, to know Him better, to love Him more. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Spend more time in God's Word, fall in love with Him, and don't substitute busyness for intimacy. Number two... We saw the church in Smyrna. They were the persecuted church. They were the ones that remember that they had to, they, there was worship of the Caesar in, in Smyrna. And if they didn't go and, and, and burn incense to the Caesar and pledge to him, they couldn't buy, they couldn't sell, they couldn't get a job, and they were persecuted by the world. And it would be so easy just to go in one day for 20 minutes and burn this incense and then go live your life. But they, the, God bless the church in Smyrna. They would rather stand for the Lord and lose everything than stand with the world and gain a bunch of stuff that was perishing and lose that on their walk with the Lord. And here's the reality. We've all knuckled under for far less than losing everything we have. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. I'm going to say it one more time. We will never stop having church. I don't care if the black plague comes. I don't care if it's against the law. I don't care if they're, they're lined up out in the parking lot with shotguns. We're having church. Can I get an amen to that? But the point, is, the point is this, that we don't want to lose sight of the fact that our relationship with the Lord is more important than anything else. And persecution comes to those who stand for Him. Then we saw the church of Pergamos. They were the compromising church. And then we saw Thyatira. And if you were here last week, they had people teaching stuff that wasn't in the Bible. And they had Jezebel, remember? And she got up and she taught a bunch of things contrary to the Word of God. And the only way you're going to know something's contrary to the Word of God is if you know the truth of God's Word. So it's so important. And I promise you in this fellowship, I promise you, as long as I'm here, we will never do anything but teach the Bible. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. By the way, my last day at work is March 31st. So I will be here from now on. Amen. 35 years with my company, and I, 
feel like it's time to devote all of my time to you guys. So we're going to do that. Amen. So now we come to Revelation chapter 3. And if you got your outline, grab it. I tell the message, wake up. Because we need to wake up as a church. Amen? Amen. The church today is falling asleep. And I, underneath you see they're breathing life into the dead church. So we're going to look at the church, which is referred to in the Bible as the dead church. It's the church in Sardis. And these are the points we're going to look at as we go through the text. First in point A, the church dies to become. Why do churches die? And sometimes we think of a dead church, you know what we think of? We think of an old beat-up church building out in the middle of nowhere that's got weeds growing up around it, and the stained glass windows are broken, and there's an old broken-down organ up, in the, up on the stage, and, and maybe five people come on Sunday. We think that's the dead church. So let me tell you something. A dead church, it doesn't matter how many activities you have or how much is going on, the church is dead when the Holy Spirit is not there. So there's a lot of churches that look really busy, and a lot of them, your best life now, right? All that kind of stuff. And there's all these churches that have a lot going on, but the Holy Spirit's not there. We're going to talk about that. So first, we're going to see a dead church die. The church dies because they cease to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. More worried about being popular with men than faithful to God. It ceases to be disciplined, does not fulfill God's calling. You know what we're called to do? To know Him and to make Him known. To go therefore into all the world and make disciples, not just converts. And that's a healthy church should be seeing people saved and those who are saved growing closer to the Lord. Amen? Number three, it wanders from the truth. The word ceases to be the authority and the standard for truth. And again, there's only one truth. Two plus two is four every time, and Jesus Christ alone is God every time. Amen? There's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. There's only one way, one truth, one life, one hope, and his name is Jesus Christ. And nothing is the authority but the book you're holding in your hand. Amen? Not the opinions of men, not new prophecies. If it's new, it's not true. If it's true, it's not new. Amen? Finally, then fourthly, oh, wow, good, good spelling there, Pastor Dave. It stops taking the promise of righteous judgment seriously. It stops taking the promise of righteous judgment seriously. You might be visiting today and maybe you don't know the Lord, but let me just tell you this, and it's it's heavy to hear it, but we all need to. Everybody in this room is going to spend eternity somewhere. You're going to spend eternity with Almighty God, where there's no more pain, sorrow, suffering, or death in the presence of the Creator of the universe who loves you so much you'd rather die than live without you. Or are you going to spend eternity in hell separated from Almighty God in a place of eternal torment? And so we all have a choice to make. Where are you going to spend eternity? And what a dead church does is it loses sight of eternity. It's so focused on the temporal that it has no focus on the eternal. Then second point down there, point B, promised rewards for the faithful remnant. Now, it's, such, it's so good to know that even in the most wicked city in the Bible, or even in the most wicked cities in the world, there's always a godly remnant. There's always people there that love and know the Lord. And we are called to be salt and light. You know, California, people are running from this place like it's on fire. They think it's a fire drill. Get out of California, right? And people are leaving like crazy. And, and from some perspective, we get it, right? Housing's cheaper. They, they actually have people in government that are sane, things like that, right? And so, and so we fall into this trap of thinking that we just need to run to where it's going to be comfortable or run to a place where it's going to be easier to raise our families. And if God calls you to do that, then do that. But do not be led by Zillow. Be led by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Don't let housing prices cause you to move. Because you know what? We need missionaries in California. We need Christians to be salt and light here. 
And unless God writes it on the wall, I'm going to spend the last, every breath I have left on this planet in this state because this state needs Jesus. Amen? So we need intimate fellowship with the Lord. This is how we remain faithful. There's always a godly remnant again, and we need to have that intimate fellowship. There is no valid reason for you or I not to spend a part of every single day in God's word, in prayer, and in fellowship with the Lord. Can I get an amen to that? Well, I work a lot of hours. That's fine. Get up a half an hour earlier. If God's a priority, the Bible says we're to desire the word of God more than unnecessary food. You got time to eat. You got time to spend with the Lord. Amen. And then lastly, of the promised rewards of the faithful remnant, they have the assurance of eternal life. You know, the Bible tells us when we're born again, our name's written in the Lamb's book of life. We'll see that in chapter, verse five. And I, I tell people it's the book of life. It's the book of the born again. Amen. It's where the born again's names are written down. What have you done with God's son? Do you have a relationship with the Lord? Have you been born again? Those who are truly saved will see will also endure to the end. So let's pick up there in verse one of Revelation chapter three. Wake up, breathing life into the dead church. A a dead church dies because it ceases to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse one, and to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the word angel there is messenger, some believe that's an angel with oversight over that church. We do know that there's a spiritual realm around us that we battle not with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities and evil forces of darkness in high places. Amen. There's a spiritual battle that takes place, but I believe the more accurate rendering of this for the messenger is the pastor, because he's the one that's delivering the message. And keep in mind, when we read these cities, if you didn't like the church in town, there was not another church across the street. There was only one church. So in Sardis, there's one church. In Thyatira, there's one church. So there was no option. And so the people that were there attending these churches, getting plugged into those churches, there was a pastor who was going to be held accountable for how he pastored that church. And every pastor on the planet ought to walk daily in the fear of God, knowing that myself and others, we will stand before the Lord for everything we ever teach from this pulpit, ever. And that's heavy, amen? And sadly, we see too many become very flip about what is taught from, their, from the Bible, or not from the Bible in a lot of cases. So the letter's to the angel, to the pastor, and he's being exhorted. And as we go through each city, I'm going to take a few minutes, because it's always important to understand what's going on in the city and kind of how the people live. You heard me say, you take a text out of context, so I get left a con, amen? So Sardis is located about 30 miles from uh, Thyatira, the one we looked at last week. And just like the cities that surrounded them, they were heavily involved in pagan idolatry. And, the, and, and, and what was evident in that city was drunkenness, sexual immorality. They attempted to legitimize as form of worship, the worship of pagan idols. So, so far, every church we've looked at, idolatry was all around them. And we may not see idolatry the way that we saw it in the first century church, but you know what the reality is? Idolatry is alive and well. Because idolatry now can be celebrity, it can be fame, it can be money, it can be politics, it can be anything where you put something and you make something else your, your source of hope, your source of worship. A lot of it's worshiping ourselves. Amen? And so idolatry then was just you know, statues and now it's, it's something else. But we saw that the, because they did not worship God, it was seen in their behavior. Belief will be reflected in behavior. 
What we believe will be seen in how we behave. Now, salvation, good works is not the fruit of salva- or source of salvation, but it's the fruit of salvation, right? So doing good works won't save us because cults do good works, right? But doesn't save them. It's the, it's the fruit of salvation, not the source. So the city was very much caught up in debauchery, sexual immorality, drunkenness, partying, the whole thing, worshiping false idols. But it was also a very, very wealthy city that set on a very important east-west trade route so that people would come through that city. And it was a junction where several important roads came together, became very prosperous because of all the wealth and trades that people had with people that passed through their town. city came to came to because there was work there. A lot of people came there because there was work. Hey, can't find a job? Go down to Sardis. They got work down there. You should go down there. There's a lot of jobs available. So people flocked there. And while still relatively prosperous, it was at the time of Jesus' writing only a mere shell of what it had been. It had a long history dating back to 2000 BC. This is a 2,000-year-old city. And had not only survived, but thrived through the centuries, and not only because of their prosperity, but again, because of where they were located in the trade route. So it was growing in wealth and as a commercial industry, a leader in its day, but also because the city itself was located about 1,500 feet above the main roads, approachable only on one side with sheer cliffs around it, making it prosperous, but also invincible to enemies. So, here's, so imagine, you're prosperous... Your city is growing, it's filled with idolatry, and it's filled with feeding everything your flesh has to desire, and you feel invincible. So you don't really have any real need for God. See, when when you've got everything the world has to offer, you might start to think you don't need God. When you feel like there's nothing the world can do to you, you might see there's no need for God. But I, I guarantee you, if I ask you this question, maybe I will, how many of you, before you got saved, had a lot that the world had to offer, but your life was still empty? Raise your hand. You know why? Because even if you got everything the world has to offer, your flesh will never be satisfied because God created you to have a relationship with Him, and anything short of that will never satisfy. Amen? So this is the city, Sardis. And there's a church in this city with idols everywhere, drunkenness and sexual immorality everywhere, people caught up in money, people caught up in in resting in their own uh, safety and security and seeing no need for God. Sounds like California. Amen? A lot of wealth here. So this overall softness and lack of diligence and discipline led, would one day lead to Sardis' defeat. They would actually fall at the hand, they fell during the hands of King Cyrus in 549. Why? Because they didn't think they had to be ready. They didn't think they had to be ready for a battle. And as believers, we can't get in a comfort zone where we cease to be desperate for God. In, 2000, in 214 BC, Antichus, the great, captured the city the same way. It was apathy and overconfidence that led to their defeat. And for believers, what will cause you to walk away from the Lord and for you to become lukewarm is when you cease to be humble, broken, and desperate. When you cease to recognize, I can't do this without him. Something that will drive us to our knees daily, that we're crying out to God for his strength, for his help. Instead of trusting in our bank account or trusting in our own strength, again, we need to work hard and do things as unto the Lord. But we recognize, again, that it's in him. So the church in Sardis, unfortunately, had become like the city. It was dead. And we know how we know it's dead? Because Jesus is about to tell us it's dead. He, tells them, he calls them the dead church. And again, we're going to see from the world's perspective that they're doing stuff, but they're dead. And we know the reason why they're dead. 
again. It was living past its glory. Pastor Chuck, when we would go to the Senior Pastors Conference every year, and he's going to be one of the people that's really focused on this movie on Wednesday, the whole Jesus movement and how all the hippies got saved and how the Calvary Chapel movement was born. And basically, it's just teaching through the whole counsel of God, teaching the simple truth of God's Word simply, and, and making everybody feel welcome. Amen? But the church in Sardis, again, Pastor Chuck would warn us that we could become the same way. And here's what he would say, as soon as we get away from teaching the Word of God and being desperate, being filled with the Holy Spirit, this movement will become a, 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 a memory, and all of our, all the buildings will become monuments to what once was. Have you ever been to a city and walked into a beautiful church? Maybe some, and it's been there 200 years, and you walk in, and it's, it's got a bunch of artwork, and it's really beautiful, and it's become a museum, because nobody goes to church there anymore. Because at some point they stopped teaching the word of God and it ceased being effective for the kingdom of God and for his glory. And so there's a lot of dead church buildings that are just memorials to what once was. Again, we don't want the building to become a monument. We don't want to live in a dead church. So, so you and I need to become, don't want to become so comfortable that we cease to be broken before the Lord. So free of trials and persecution that we become soft and undisciplined. And while the church in Sardis was dead in need of spiritual uh, CPR, so too do many of us this morning. Going to church maybe a long time, you're on cruise ship to heaven, you got your relationship with God on cruise control, you, you open your Bible whenever you feel like it, whenever you get a minute, you're so caught up in everything else this world has to offer that God's not the priority and passion of your life anymore. But the good news is you can take a million steps away from God, it's only one step back, amen? The ultimate goal in this life is not personal comfort and ease, but developing of godly character that often comes through pain, suffering, and persecution. So Sardis' finest achievements were in its past and may not... It may not be true of, of us as a church or as individuals, but it may be. Now notice what he says here. These things, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works, that you, that you have a name and that you are, you are alive, but you are dead. Now, every time, remember back in Revelation 1, Jesus describes himself, well, he's described in Revelation 1, and it talks about all his gifts. And every book, every letter in Revelation to each different church gives a different attribute of who God is that that church needs to remember. And so he says here, the seven spirits of God, which holds the seven stars. The seven spirits of God and the seven stars. The Lord is, as is the pattern in these letters, reminds them of the attributes and his character that they needed to hear in light of their current behavior. So the seven spirits of God speaks the full of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. In the Bible, seven is the number of perfection or completion. And what he's saying, it's the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus himself, though he is fully God and the Holy Spirit is fully God and God the Father is fully God and there's one God in three persons, Jesus himself is, of course, filled with the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So what that dead church needed was the Holy Spirit. Amen talked about this, the Holy Spirit's either in you, with you, or upon you. Before you gave your life to Jesus Christ, He was with you. He's with the world. They call Him their conscience. I did prison ministry for 15 years off and on, and when you go into prisons, what you find out is that even the most hardened criminal has some understanding of right and wrong. And when you ask them, what do you think it is? Why do you think that you understand right and wrong? I tell them, it's because the Holy Spirit is with you. 
He's not in you. You're not born again. You're not going to heaven, but he's giving you a sense of right and wrong. But when you give your life to Jesus Christ, he goes from being with you to being in you. And now your Holy Spirit dwells in you. The, your, your, he writes his name on your heart. Your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. But the Bible also talks about the Holy Spirit being not just with us or in us, but being upon us. If you remember in the book of Acts, he said, go and wait and the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. Now, he had already breathed his spirit in them in Luke, but he told them to wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. And that's where you get the, word, the term being baptized with the Holy Spirit or being filled with the Holy Spirit or being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. As my dad used to say, call it what you want, just get it. Can I get an amen to that? Where there's less of us and more of him, that we're spilling out on the world around us. Amen? We don't just want you know, the get out of hell free card and go sit in the corner and wait till you know, judgment day. We want to live in such a way that we're salt and light to a lost and a dying world. So the, he's saying to them, he's given the picture of the fullness of the Holy Spirit that dwells within him. And you know what? The church that was born when the Spirit of God descended on the day of Pentecost and its life comes from the Spirit. So the church was birthed in Acts chapter 2. And we're, we've been in a church age ever since. And when any church walks away or lives without the Holy Spirit, the tragic part is that it really sees, it becomes a dead church. Most of you guys know the job I've had for the last 35 years, I sell advertising. And years ago, when I was working in the San Jose office, when I was a youth pastor at Calvary Chapel San Jose with Rob McCoy, uh, I went to visit this very large church in Sunnyvale. And I was meeting with the pastor and I was looking forward to it. I wanted to get to know this guy. And so I'm, tell, I'm asking him, so tell me what God's doing in your church. And I started asking him questions. And he started telling me, oh man, we just got a landscaping award for how beautiful our landscaping is outside our building. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's good to take good care of God's buildings. That's good. Wonderful. What else? Hey, come check this out. We got a new stained glass window. You need to come check it out. I walked out. That's a beautiful stained glass window. What else is God doing in your church? Well, we started doing weddings. We got this award in a wedding magazine. We do all these weddings. I'm like, ah, that's great because that's a picture of Christ in the church doing weddings. That's wonderful. What else is God doing in your church? Well, we feed 300 homeless people every Saturday. I said, that's fantastic. The Bible tells us to minister to those who are in need. What else is God doing in your church? 45 minutes of this. Jesus never mentioned once, salvation never mentioned once, the Word of God never mentioned once, and you know what? That church had a lot of activity, but it was deader than a doornail because the Holy Spirit wasn't there. Amen? Too often we, we think activity, even good works, somehow replaces the need for salvation. You know, we do this. You'll hear about missions trips. We went down to Mexico. We built a couple houses for hurting people. That's fantastic. Would Jesus applaud that? Absolutely. But here's always my follow-up question. You were there for two weeks. You built two houses. How many people did you tell about Jesus? Well, we were hammering boards. and I, Did you talk to anybody about the Lord? We planted flowers. Did you tell anybody about Jesus? Guys, the worst thing we can do is go make people more comfortable in this world and not give them the answer and the hope that lies within us. Because guys, what people need more than a house is they need Jesus. Amen? So let's build houses, but let's give them Jesus. Amen? The church is dead because the Holy Spirit is no longer there. The Holy Spirit gives life to the church. 
a church is dead, if our walk is lukewarm, if our devotions are, and our prayer life are dry, what's needed is a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. All the church's man-made programs can never bring life any more than a circus can resurrect a corpse. Amen? You can have all the circus, you can have all the programs, you can look really busy. And you know why? And here's why it happens. Because people want to meet the felt needs of the people that they can get to have more people come so more people will give so they can make more programs to meet the felt needs of more people so the church will keep going. People, people were, whenever I've been a church planter, I love planting churches. I, by the grace of God, I planted two. God planted them. I just get to be along for the ride. My dad planted churches. My son-in-law planted churches. So I love church plants. And they always send you these surveys. Here's how you build a big church. You send out a survey to everybody in the neighborhood around you and ask them what they want and then give them what they want. They want a petting zoo? Get a petting zoo, right? You know, if they, if they want donuts and comfortable seats, if they want whatever they want, just give it to them. They'll all come. I will never give you what you want because if I did, I'd be accountable to God. My prayer is that I give you what you need and what you need is Jesus. Amen? And you need his word. The dead church is dead because it's lost sight of what church is supposed to be. We're the bride of Christ, not the bride of the circus, amen? Not the bride of all the things that the world wants us to chase after. Notice the seven stars. He holds the seven stars in his hands. And again, in this case, the stars speak of the pastors. Sometimes it's pastors' fault when a church is dying. You'll meet pastors, and the church is dying. Now, what I mean by that, they'll think they're doing well because there's a lot of people coming. I've heard this from people because the church I planted in Santa Cruz got very large. This one hasn't done as much. And some have said, well, maybe you're doing something wrong. I said, I hope not. But here's the reality. We're going to make disciples and let God grow the church. Can I get an amen to that? A lot of people got saved in this church. It's been fruitful. Right, right Mike? <laughs> a lot of people got saved in this church. A lot of people's lives have been transformed. But guys, this is God's church. It's not ours, but it's for his glory. Amen. And we're blessed that you guys are here. But the message to the pastors, he was going to remove the star and put another in its place. You know what? Sometimes that needs to happen. The church in Sardis was dead. The Holy Spirit was not at work in their, in their church. And it was the Spirit that gives life. And Jesus is the power, has the power to resurrect the church. So point number one, it ceases to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Point number two, it ceases to be disciplined. But before we get to that, notice what he says here at the end of that. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Jesus says to each church, he says the same thing to Sardis, I know what you guys are up to. I know what you do here. And I know if it's glorifying and honoring his name. I know if you're having an impact on eternity or if you've just become a religious country club. That church in Sunnyvale should have put horns on the wall and called the Elks Club and got over it because they never talked about Jesus. And guys, it's all about him, amen? The word works there is acts, deeds, and labor. It speaks of working unto exhaustion. I know your works. I know how much time you spend with me, how much time you prepare to tell others about me. I know where you're at spiritually, and God knows where we're at. The church at Sardis was not free of activity. Again, actually a lot was happening. Outwardly probably appeared to be a very vibrant church with a lot of, act of activity, a lot of ministries. But again, it had a reputation. You have a name. You're alive. You're still there. You're still having church. The name is their reputation. You know, what is the reputation? It was interesting. Years ago, 
uh, we, when I was in Santa Cruz, all the pastors met. Somebody gave some money for all the pastors in Santa Cruz to meet, and we all met in this place, and they were going around the room introducing themselves, and it was tragic in my heart to listen to these pastors, because the guy who was kind of, uh, you know, functioning, facilitating this thing said, so tell us what God's doing in your church. Tell me how long you've been there. Tell me the most, you know, something incredible that happened in the last year. I remember the first guy said, well, I've been here 25 years. You know, our, our church is kind of dying, but it's really exciting. We've got a new table. We've got new tables in our cafeteria. I thought my head was going to explode. That's the exciting thing that happened in your church? And then you go around, and all these guys have been to seminary. All these guys, when they asked what they were teaching, they were pulling stuff off the internet that somebody else taught. And, oh, yeah, I did that series. I'm doing that series. They get to me, and they're like, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm excited because we baptized like 200 people last year. God's being glorified. We meet a gymnasium, right? We just set stuff up. God's doing great and awesome work. And I'm excited about the things that God's doing. And, and we talked about the spiritual things. And I said, you know what? And we, we're, we're, you know, we're eight chapters away from finishing the New Testament. God's doing a great work. And they're like, well, what are you teaching? I said, well, we're in, you know, Revelation and, and, and Ruth. Well, how do you do that? What do you use for a study guide? Uh, it's right here. Can I get an amen to that? There was a young man that was there, and at the end of it, he went around the room to describe wherever he was, and he goes, you guys at Calvary Chapel, you guys... Here's the Bible, guys. I'm like, yeah, I'll take that. Can I get amen to that? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by? Guys, so if we want to grow in faith, we've got to spend time in the Word. The church in, Smyrna, in Sardis was dead because they weren't spending time in the Word and they didn't have the Holy Spirit. But they look good from the outside. You're alive. The reputation from the outward appearances what the, was a life of... of vitality, a busy church, meetings every night maybe, numerous programs, community involvement, people coming and going. Not only do most of those who attend see their church as alive, but so did those in their community. But it's not how we see ourselves or how man sees us that counts. It's how God sees us. Amen? And he says to him there, you are dead. That's hard to hear if you're the pastor of that church. By the way, pastor, your church is dead. Amen? Despite their reputation for being alive, Jesus saw them for what they were. You are dead. I love that. As Damon Kyle would say, that's called teaching with clarity. Hey, bro, you're dead. No, you don't have to think about that. You don't have to dissect that. Amen? You are dead. A good reputation is no guarantee of true spiritual character because we can fool men, but you can't fool God. All your friends may think you're an on-fire Christian. They may think you have real intimate fellowship with God, but only you and God really know if that's true. Probably your spouse, amen? But dead, a lot of activity, but no lasting fruit. Entertaining a crowd, but making no disciples. The word dead there indicates no struggle, no fight, no persecution. It wasn't that the church at Sardis was losing the battle. They were a dead body that had lost the battle, and the fight was over. They were not even engaged anymore. Nobody's getting saved. No one's being discipled. The world around them is not being impacted for eternity. They're just housing people and making them comfortable on their way to hell. Pastor Dave. Note in this letter, Jesus doesn't encourage the Christians in Sardis to stand strong against persecution or false doctrine, probably because there was not a significant danger of those things in Sardis. You know why? Because the Christians weren't standing for anything. You know why the church gets attacked? Because we stand for something. Amen? There's no persecution. We're not standing for the Lord. 
Being dead, the church in Sardis presented no significant threat to Satan's domain. Do you know that Satan's resources are limited? First of all, Satan's a defeated foe. Amen? Don't give him too much credit. He's not, he's not even close to God. He's a created being who fell from heaven because he was prideful. Amen? That being said, his resources are limited. He's not going to go after dead churches. They're already doing his job for him. Where's the attack going to come? It's going to come to the fellowships where the word of God's being taught, where lives are being changed. He's going to want to silence that truth. And so persecution is a mark of somebody who's living out, out loud for the Lord. Amen? I meet Christians like, I've never been persecuted my whole life. Well, quit being an undercover Christian then. Can I get an amen to that? Start preaching the truth. You know what the Lord's concerned with? The lost being saved. The saved being disciple. His Father being glorified. Sinners being called to repentance. Rebellious Christians to restoration. The Holy Spirit working in and through the church. God's children remaining faithful in the face of persecution and trials and impacting a lost and dying world with the truth of the gospel. That's what God cares about. He doesn't care about how comfortable the chairs are. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. <laughs> He's not concerned about, you know, the plate glass window or the fact that we got new tables in our cafeteria. Amen. The amount of activity, our reputation before men, how many we entertain. See, churches today, when you talk to pastors, and I talk to a lot of them, especially the ones that aren't a part of the Calvary movement, and the first thing they'll tell you is how many people go to their church. Because for them, that's the mark of success. And again, a healthy church will grow. But again, it's not about how many people we entertain, but how many people we disciple. An entire church can be deceived, believe that they're alive and doing well when they are dead and having no impact on eternity. It's sobering thought and a caution for all of us that we may deceive others, we may even deceive ourselves, and yet be dead as a church and as believers, having lost our complete and total dependence upon the Holy Spirit. You know what? That's why it says in James chapter 1, to count and all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. For trials produce patience and the perfecting of your faith. See, God, no suffering is wasted. God will use whatever trial you go through for his glory if you will but let him. And whatever it does, whatever needs to happen to bring us to our knees is worth it. Amen? And it's really easy to say amen, and it's another thing to live through it. Right? There cannot be fruit in the church or in our lives apart from the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it without Him. Without Him, I can do nothing, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? There cannot be revival in the church or our lives apart from the empowering of the Holy Spirit. There cannot be repentance of the lost or restoration for the believer apart from the drawing and conviction of the Holy Spirit. The success of the church is directly proportionate to its level of submission to the Holy Spirit to empower, teach, equip, correct, give us understanding of God's word and the calling he's placed upon our lives. Here's one of my things that God's already put on my heart to do when I'm full-time. I should be doing it now. I am going to, before, we get to, before March 31st, I'm going to get the name of everybody in this room, every one of your children, every one of your grandchildren, anybody that's a coworker that you want to see saved, any burden that you have in your heart, and I'm going to pray for every single one of you every single week. I'm going to spend an entire day doing nothing but pray for you. And I'm going to pray one of those prayers. I'm going to pray is that you get empowered with the Holy Spirit, that you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that you'll be salt and light to a lost and dying world, and that God will use you for his kingdom and for his glory. That's on my heart. And you know what? You can pray that for me because I need it too. Can I get an amen to that? Because we all need it. So point number one there, again, it ceases to, to our walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 2, it says it ceases to be disciplined, a dead church. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain. 
that are ready to die. I've not found your works perfect before God. The church had become undisciplined. And, and the word there, be watchful, I'll tell you what that word is in Greek. It's wake up. What do you think I got the outline? That's right. I, I don't just make this stuff up. The word there in Greek is wake up. It says be watchful. You guys need to wake up. You're spiritually dead, but you can be resuscitated. You can get your eyes back on the Lord. You can walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit again. You can get your, you know, surrender your life to Him. They become ineffective through self-sufficiency and carelessness and lack of godly discernment and discipline by turning a deaf ear to the Holy Spirit. And Jesus tells them and He tells us to wake up, to listen afresh to the Lord, to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit to take an honest and open look at where you are in your life. Let me, just right now, take two seconds. How are you doing with the Lord? Are you as close to the Lord as you've ever been? Or do you want to be closer to Him? And guys, Christianity, there's no finish line, right? We, we're justified at salvation. We're being sanctified until the day we're glorified. So we've been justified at salvation, just as if we never sinned. But we're being sanctified. We're all works in progress, Amen. And God is continuing to mold us more and more to the image of our Savior. And we won't be glorified till we close our eyes on earth and we open them up in heaven. And so we're all works in progress. And we need to stay in a place where we are being strengthened by Him. He says, and strengthen the things which remain. The word strengthen there is set fast, to turn resolutely in a certain direction, to tell us that though the spiritual condition of the church in Sardis was, was bad, it wasn't hopeless. And no matter how far away you've gotten from God, as long as you're breathing in and out, it's not hopeless. God can still restore you. God can still do a great work in you and through you. Guys, we're all just tools in the hands of the master if we will but let him. Amen? And God wants to do that work in all of us. If we will submit our lives to him. It wasn't hopeless. It's not hopeless for anybody in this room. Spiritually, there were things that remained that could be strengthened, and Jesus had not given up on them. While it was late, since they're not ready to die, it was not too late. It's not too late yet. Picture again of God's incredible grace as he seeks to revive those who are dying spiritually. I used to pray this a lot, and maybe God answered my prayer. I used to pray, Lord, if we need persecution in the church in the United States, bring it so we will wake up and make a stand for him. Amen? COVID did not change the church. It revealed the church. It showed us where we were. And there are churches that haven't opened yet. And if they haven't opened yet, stay closed, please. Amen. Amen? Because why? We want people going to churches where the Word of God's being taught. But we don't walk in the fear of men. We have nothing to be afraid of. You can't threaten me with heaven. Can I get an amen to that? I, I, would, I would hope there's a COVID convention where everybody's got it. Let me go speak at that. I'll hug everybody there because I'm not worried about getting sick. I'm worried about people dying and going to hell without Jesus. Amen? The church in Sardis, it wasn't too late. They could still get right. It wasn't too late. I have not found your works perfect before God. I think all of us probably fit in that category. Amen? <laughs> Anybody think here your works have been found perfect before God? If you say yes, you got a pride problem, that's another sin. Can I get an amen to that? It shows that their works, though they were present, didn't measure up to God's standard. 
that there is still a work to be done in them, and there's still a work to be done in us. The mere presence of good works is not enough. God looks at the heart and the motivation behind the works. Again, there are churches, there are cults that do good works. There are churches that there are cults that feed the poor, but they're not doing the work of God because they're not giving people Jesus. Amen. And but we're thankful that people get fed. Notice it says that the word perfect there in Greek means to make full, to cause to abound, to supply liberally, to complete. The works of the church in Sardis were done with the wrong heart, the wrong motivation, and without being completed. What was their motivation? To draw a crowd, to earn the praise of men, may have been an attempt to reach people for the Lord, but they were not fulfilling or completing the work that they were called to. They're bragging about stained glass windows and the landscaping award they won. Guys, as a church, that's not what it's about. We're the body of Christ, amen? Well, it's possible in and of ourselves to do good and charitable works in the world's eyes without the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Such works have no impact on eternity. Here's the key. Is it impacting eternity? The only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people, right? And so we want to see people saved. We want to see lives changed. And that's what it's about. The Holy Spirit's greatest desire is to glorify Jesus. And so too, that should be the focus of our good works. Not so we feel better about ourselves, but that our Savior would be glorified and that we might point others to Him. In Matthew 5, it says this, Jesus said this, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and follow you on TikTok. Is that what it says? (laughs) It says here, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. See, we don't want to do good works so we're made famous. We want to do good works so God is glorified. Amen? We should live in such a way that God is glorified. Do good works. Feed the hungry. Clothe the naked. Visit the sick. Love the unlovable. Bless your boss. Minister to your neighbors. But also be faithful to complete the work by pointing them to Jesus, by giving them the gospel, by ministering not only to their physical needs, but their spiritual needs as well. Because, guys, that's the only thing that will matter. You know, could be the saddest thing we can do is go to heaven by ourselves. Amen? There's an old video, old video we used to watch in youth group. I was a youth pastor for 15 years. This means I worked with teenagers on purpose. Okay, that's a calling. I'm getting into that. I still love teenagers to this day. But there was this video, and it was four teenagers in a car, and they get in a car accident. And it was, you know, a low-budget thing, but they're all drug out of the car, they've all died, and now they're being taken into eternity, and two of them are going to the right into heaven, and two of them are being taken down into hell. And the two that are being taken into hell yell at the other two, how come you never told us? How come you never told us? I thought you were my friend. Why didn't you tell me? You know why we don't tell people? Because we're more fearful of how people will see us than being faithful to God, and we're more concerned with being popular with them in the moment than their eternity. Guys, that's an indictment on all of us. Can I get an amen to that? Point number three, it wanders from the truth. The church dies because it wanders from the truth. Remember, therefore, how you've received and heard, hold fast and repent. I'm telling them to hold fast to the word of God. Remember how you received and heard. They had heard the truth. They knew the truth. The word remember there is to make mention, to recollect, to rehearse. In the midst of all their busyness, they had lost sight of the simplicity of the gospel and lost touch with their desperate need to walk in the spirit. The gospel is not that difficult. You ready? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. How many sinners we got? Okay. 
So we got that part done, right? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. How many of you guys are going to die? All right, so th- there you go. We're, we're moving along the road here. Wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. For God so loved the world that he's gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The simplicity of the gospel is recognizing that we're all sinners, that we're all going to die. We're all going to spend eternity somewhere and we all need Jesus. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he's the only way to heaven. And the only way that we get to go to heaven is when we surrender our life to the one who paid the price for us. Amen? Guys, we can sit down and, and one of these Thursdays, I'm going to go through how to share the gospel in the elevator, amen? Where you're in the elevator for 30 seconds and you can share the gospel before that button gets hit again, amen? So the simplicity of the gospel, we, it's not that we don't share it because we can't, we don't share it because it's not our focus at the time. We've got other things on our mind. We're missing out on divine appointments. Lord, help us. It says, how you received and heard. How joyfully the church had originally received the amazing truth of the gospel, the Holy Spirit coming upon them. You know, I love, don't you love new believers? You know why? They're excited about Jesus. And then some will say, well, you know, you're new in your faith, bro. You'll mellow out. We don't need to mellow out. We need to fire up. Can I get an amen to that? Right? Well, that guy's new in the faith. He like witnesses to the waitress. He talks to people in the car. He's talking about Jesus all the time. I mean, you call his phone and it's a Bible verse on the answering service. Man, that guy's on fire for Jesus. I remember when I was like that. Guys, we don't want to walk away. We want to get him more on fire for God. Amen? We want to grow in our relationship with him. The church had heard the truth and received the truth, but sadly over time, faith and spiritual intimacy with God had been replaced by busyness and programs. They were busy doing stuff for the Lord, but not having any intimate fellowship with the Lord. Amen? Godly character had been replaced by worldly reputation. This church had indeed lost sight of what was important and the very reason they existed. They're the bride of Christ. The word hold fast and repent. The word hold fast there is to guard from loss, to keep an eye upon, to prevent from escaping. These truths had been all but forgotten. Note through the church had gotten off track so much that Jesus referred to of them as dead. Guys, you've lost track. You're, you're, the things that you're doing aren't impacting eternity. We need to impact eternity. Church had begun in the truth, and as we will see, they remained a godly remnant. They needed to wake up, remember the truth of God's word, hold fast to it, and keep from being lost completely. The word repent there means to turn around, to think differently hey, we've been going this way and we've been doing all this stuff for the world and we're trying to be popular with the world and we're trying to, you know, conquer the world or whatever we're doing in the world. And repent means to recognize, man, all the stuff I'm doing is in the wrong direction. I need to turn back around and surrender my life to the Lord. Please don't take this wrong, but I am sick and tired of the church being more known for its politics than who we are in Christ. Amen? Just offended half the people in there, that's okay. Because the reality is, people don't need Donald Trump, they need Jesus Christ. Amen? We don't need, you know, the, the White House isn't going to save us. It's the throne of grace that redeems us, amen? I would rather that the whole country be on fire and everybody excited about Jesus than us having everything that we think we need to be this amazing country and no one's desperate for God, amen? Amen? Because guys, when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last, and where we spend eternity is what matters. Hey, heaven's going to be perfect, and God's on the throne, 
and I'm going. How about you? That's what matters above all else. Look, I still vote, vote biblically, vote pro-life. Can I get him into that? Vote all those things that we need to vote for. But if that loses, don't fret because God's still on the throne. They can't vote God out of office. Amen. And God is good and he's faithful. But see, that's what happens when churches can veer off from the simplicity of the gospel and we can be known for everything else. But what really matters is people coming to know Jesus Christ. Amen? It's when we veer from the word of God and cease to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit that the church starts to die. And the movement becomes a memorial and the buildings become monuments. Point number four there, it stops taking the promise of righteous judgment seriously. Look what it says at the end of verse 3. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I have come upon you. The Bible, we will see this as we go through Revelation. At the end of chapter 3, we see Harpazo, rapture, and we see John seeing everything from a heavenly perspective. And it won't come. It will come as the thief in the night. That means when you're not ready, when people are just living their lives, and all of a sudden, by the way, our, our website's rapture-proof. We've got it to where it's going to run on its own after the rest of us are in heaven. If you come next Sunday and we're all gone, repent. Can I get an amen to that? Get right with Jesus. The Bible says in the last days, men will call good evil and evil good. Boy, are we living in that. But the good news is we're closer to the coming of our Savior. See, they stop. The word therefore, in light of Lord's exhortation, remember how you received and heard, hold fast, repent, wake up, comes a very stern warning as to what will happen to those who do not heed his words. He says, oh, come as a thief quickly when you least expect it. Sardis would have been struck a, a memory chord. It's remember twice in history. I mentioned in the beginning that they were just so comfortable in their surroundings and their and how fortified their kingdom was, only one way in that they thought they couldn't be captured. And twice they got captured quickly. And the same thing can hap will happen in the church. Those who are on the planet, when uh, again the Lord returns, many will be left behind indeed. Jesus is warning them the great danger of failing to watch. Someone must keep watch over the truth, lest we compromise and begin to die spiritually. True in the church, true in the home, and true for each of us as individuals. I will come upon you. Could be speaking of immediate judgment or also the rapture of the church. In either case, this is a clear exhortation to watch. It says this in Matthew 24. This is New Living Translation. I don't, I don't recommend it, but I like how it, this, it writes out this verse. But if a servant is evil and thinks, my master won't be back for a while, and becomes, begins oppressing uh, the other servants, partying and getting drunk, well, the master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will tear the servant apart and banish him with the hypocrites in the place where there will be weeping and the gnashing of teeth. We think we can just live like the world and I'll get right with God before it's done, you know. I'll save that till I'm old. You know, and there's that mentality, we'll just live like the world. By the way, the word of God, again, it's not a, a guard, it's not a, a fence to keep us out of Disneyland. It's a guardrail to keep us from driving off a cliff. See, God doesn't give us his word to keep us from fun, but to keep us from the ultimate harm. Amen. And so the exhortation here is that they had lost sight. And they were not even thinking about eternity at all. They were so focused on being busy and, and being you know, entertained and all the things the world has to offer that eternity was not even a thought. And sadly, that thought would be awakened quickly. 
How many of you have a promise to be alive tomorrow? I wasn't going to mention it. I spent two days in the hospital this week. My blood pressure went through the roof. I thought I was having a stroke. I was totally confused. I went in an ambulance. I got there. My dad had a stroke and went blind, so I was a little concerned. And then I got there, and my blood pressure was through the roof. My doctor's mad at me. And uh, sitting right there. But, but I had an MRI and everything else, and I'm good, and praise God for that. But you know the last time I was in the back of an ambulance? The last time I was teaching the book of Revelation in Santa Cruz. It's the truth. So we're going to finish this book one way or another. Can I get an amen? I'm going to take my blood pressure medicine until we get done with the end of this, all right? Amen. Thank you. I'll take it. A lack of diligence to hold fast to the truth will result in either defeat at the hands of the enemy or righteous judgment at the hand of God. Because we need to have a, an eternal perspective. We need not lose sight. Finally, the last point there, promised rewards for the faithful remnant. Look what he says there in verse 4. He says, you have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments. They shall walk with me in white, and they are worthy. He says a few names. So here's the church, the only church in Sardis. And he said, there's a few of you that actually know me. And that's the good news for the few people that know him, amen? So there are a few of you. Even among the dead church in Sardis, there was a remnant, but there were only a few. And Pergamus and Thyatira, it seems there are few bad among the good, but in Sardis, it seems like there's few good among the bad. A lot of people going to church, but very few people saved. Even in Sardis, again, speaks of the fact that this was a remark, remarkable that there were a few names still faithful to the Lord. It may have been remarkable because the city's notorious immoral reputation. Even in Sodom, there were Christians. In Sodom, right? A handful got rescued. Even in Santa Cruz, where I pastored a church, Santa Cruz means Holy Cross. But boy, there was a, but praise thankful there's a remnant. Even in California, there's a remnant. Amen. We're called to be salt and light. Who have not defiled their garments. Why does Jesus refer to the defiled garments? In the heathen worship of the day, the pagan gods could not be approached with dirty clothes. And the remnant in Sardis had not compromised with the pagan society around them, nor had they grown, com- they had go- they had grown comfortable or complacent. There were some in the, in, the, in the midst of all of that were worshiping the Lord and were not getting caught up in the worship of the world that everyone else was doing. It was this devoted spiritual remnant that held the future of the church's ministry. And praise God for faithful remnants in godless cities and villages around the world. Amen? Who do not compromise, who do not run away, but remain in hopes of reaching the lost. I don't want to run away from Canal Valley. God can do with my life whatever he wants. But my heart is to stay here until he gets back, and my heart is to see this see a revival that we're seeing all over our country right now take place here. Can I get an amen to that? And that's going to happen when we start living for the Lord. It says, they walk with me in white, for they are worthy. They walk with me. There's a reward for those who walk with the Lord. Where's your walk? We used to use that term all the time, right? How's the walk, bro? How's your walk doing? That's talking about, are you walking with the Lord? Are you walking behind the Lord? Are you walking away from the Lord? Amen? Some are walking away in the pursuit of the things of this world. Some are walking far behind them because they're distracted. Or are you walking with him? His yoke is easy. His burden is light. When we're linked to the Lord, he carries the load and he brings us along with him. Amen? 
Walk with him. The greatest reward Jesus can give his followers is a more intimate walk with him. You know, the picture of close fellowship and friendship is seen in Enoch. It says, Enoch, who walked with God and was not, for God took him. He was so close to the Lord. The Lord just said, just come on. Just get up here. Amen? Just snatched him up into heaven. And my prayer is that we would walk in such intimate fellowship with the Lord. The Christians in Sardis who forsake the sinful compromise of their city will be rewarded with a closer and more intimate walk with Jesus. It says in Matthew 5, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. In John 14, he says, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. If you want to know God better, walk in intimate fellowship with him and he will reveal more of himself to you. And I truly believe as we walk in obedience and intimate fellowship with God, we get to know him better and we get to see him more clearly than the world around us ever will. Amen? If you really desire that, in white they are worthy, clothed in white. Is this because they were pure? No. It's because he's pure. Amen? Isaiah 64 says, but we are all as unclean things and all our righteousness is filthy rags. We get to Revelation 19. It says, and to her it was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen. This is the church. Clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Revelation 7, then one of the elders answered saying to me, who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? And I said to him, sir, you know, so he said to me, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. What makes us righteous is the shed blood of Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary. Amen. Verse five, we might go over a couple minutes. I'm on fire for God, but only for 55 minutes. That's it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Verse 5, he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who overcomes, those who are recognized uh, the works of the dead church and are outside of God's will, have responded to the Holy Spirit's call and conviction. Those who overcame what the world was doing and didn't worry about the rest of the world was fo were focused on the Lord. One who is truly saved and walking in the po power of the Holy Spirit is able by the grace of God to walk in obedience to Him, even when surrounded by a godless world and a dead and compromising church. This faithful remnant in Sardis was proof of it. Now, maybe I'm going to have to do this next week because I don't feel like we should blow through this, but I will not blot out their name from the book of life. Does that concern anybody? Does that concern anybody? So if my name's in the book of life, it can be blotted out? Can I lose my salvation? I don't believe you can. No, I don't. But as believers, we should be people that don't think we can walk an aisle, pray a prayer, and then go live like the world the whole my rest of my life and still have the assurance of salvation. Because here's the truth. If you've truly been born again, you're truly going to change. And if there's no change, there's been no salvation. Amen? Now, when he talks about confessing the Lord, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Savior, if Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. See, that confession doesn't just mean when you walk out and pray to prayer in junior high camp when you're 11, and then you live like the world the rest of your life. We should keep on confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? It's not something we do once to get the get out of hell free card, put it in our wallet, and go live like the world. It's something that transforms us where we never stop confessing Him. 
Amen? We never stop talking about it. We never keep our faith to ourselves anymore. Just to close with this, there are a lot of people that struggle because have you ever met anybody that seemed to be on fire for God for a while and then they walk completely away from the Lord and they reject Him altogether? Everybody ever heard about anybody like that? A man by the name of Gary Templeton, you probably never heard of him, but he was a guy that was a, a missionary and then was on staff with Billy Graham for years and wrote books about Christianity. And then one day, walked away from the Lord and is a self-proclaimed atheist and said his mission in life is to rescue as many people from Christianity as he can. Now, some would say he lost his salvation. I would say that brother was a phony from the beginning and he was never saved because if you give your life to Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit lives inside of you, you will not walk away and remain away. Can I get an amen to that? We will endure until the end. Now, the endurance doesn't save us. The endurance is proof that we've been saved. Doesn't mean we won't have times of rebellion. It doesn't mean we won't have times when we, you know, backsliding, right? The turn from the 70s, right? You backslidden, bro. Pray for that brother. He's backslidden. Right? We want to draw it back into the Lord. But if you're truly born again and you're saved, as Raul Reese would say, man, if you're not abiding, you're not going, bro. So that's the thing, right? <laughs> right? We got to abide, abiding, right? Grafted into Jesus, hanging on to him with both hands. Amen? God is good and God is faithful. The book of life, your names are written down, and I'm thankful if we truly know him, and I know that I do. And I'm not being arrogant in that. I'm just being truthful to what I know is the truth because Jesus Christ is my best friend, and he lives inside of me. He will never leave me. He'll never forsake me. Both times in the back of the ambulance, this week and 12 years ago, I was so glad I'm saved. Amen? And knowing that if what the world thinks is the worst happens, I'm going to close my eyes on earth, and I'm going to open them up in glory. And there's nothing better than heaven. Amen? And so he's exhorting them. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father in heaven. This is an amazing promise. It simply makes sense that we should be willing to confess the name of Jesus. But it's amazing that he would not be ashamed to confess, right? He confessed us, right? He hung on a cross for us. How can we not openly confess him? And then it says in verse 6, he wasn't here, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. I pray that you heard whatever the Lord wanted you to hear this morning, amen? Pray that my words hit the ground and the Word of God pierced our hearts. By the way, you get this for an hour, I get it for like 25. You know, as I'm studying, I've been, you know, pierced through, I've been exhorted, right? And my prayer is that my prayer is that, that each of us as individuals, each of us as married couples and families, and each of us in this body of Christ would be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit, and we'd be the men and women of God that God has called us to be. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. We thank you that you wrote this down for us. We thank you for the picture of the dead church. And Lord, we know that this church can become dead if we ever lose sight of you. If we ever walk in our own strength, our own power, if we cease to be humble, broken, and desperate, if we cease to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, I pray for all of us here that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Lord, that we would not be satisfied with saved souls and wasted lives, but Lord, we would desire to be filled with you, less of us, more of you. As Jesus said of John the Baptist, none is born greater, none greater than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he might increase. If it's true of him, it's true of us. And I would be remiss this morning 
You know, the hour's late, but if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, if you confess him before men, he will confess you before his Father in heaven. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. If you've never surrendered your life to the Lord, and the Lord has moved upon your heart this morning, I want you to confess him openly. I'm not asking you to join a church, but just say, Lord, I'm ready to surrender my life to you. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand right where you are, anybody at all. Don't leave here without him. I'd rather die than live without you. He's a loving, gracious, and a merciful God. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We long for heaven. We long to see you face to face. And Lord, you are worthy to be worshiped and to be praised. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said... Is he